Well, good morning again. Uh, you've been welcomed already, so I won't do that again, but I will um, introduce myself because I know there's some faces here I haven't seen before. So my name's Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor here at Involved Church. Uh, a while ago, uh, Luke and I came together, Pastor Luke, who was up here just recently uh, singing, and then um, we decided we wanted to, to plant a church. We got a group of people together, started a church here in, in Nampa. It's been a great time. And we meet at a school, and some people say, when are you going to get a building? And uh, we say, well, when, when either God just hands one to us, or uh, when we really feel like that's what he's leading us to pursue. Right now, we believe he's pers- we're leading us to pursue people. And, and people is where it's at. People is what the church is. And so we're, we're pursuing uh, getting the gospel out there and helping people know who Christ is. And if God wants us to meet in a, a gymnasium, praise God for that. And he kind of led us here to this spot. And so we're, we're glad we can be here. And one of the benefits of meeting in a school is to develop a relationship with people. And this uh, Christmas time, we took up an offering and we started uh, going through and asking teachers what they wanted for Christmas. And so we were able to purchase a lot of the gifts that they, well, all the gifts that they'd asked for, uh, thanks to you guys. And so I, these are all the thank you cards that they wrote, and so I just, I thought that was really cool. Uh, some of them just in here, dear church members, thank you so much for, this was the Mag Farmer, Mag Former, I think is what it sets for my classroom. They're some of my students' favorite things. We appreciate your thoughtfulness and generosity, and on and on they go. So I'm, I'm going to put these out somewhere, I think maybe at the welcome desk or something, and you guys can go through if you want to. You can see, here's one that a bunch of kids signed and stuff for you guys. So, so I thought that was, that was pretty cool. I don't know if you... I'll hand it to Luke, and you can put it out there somewhere. Um, so, yeah, thank you. I, they appreciated it, and uh, so do I. So, Well, we are moving forward into Romans, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. We've been doing a texture question, so if you want to, throughout the service, you can text your question to that number. That number stays the same. It's been staying the same for the last few weeks. It, we plan to, so if you even want to put that in your phone, you're welcome to. But that's where you text your question, and then we'll try to answer it at the end or through the week. And hopefully you've been seeing those through the week uh, on our website. You can go and see the questions that we didn't get to. This last week we had several questions, so we just kind of brought them into two main questions and tried to answer them all together. So let's jump in. God's plan is bigger than who you are and what you do. God's plan is bigger than who you are and what you do. You got that? Got that? Uh, Do you believe that? Okay, amen. Yes, yes we do. Do you live like that? We try. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we kind of soften it up a little bit. Well, I try. Yeah. Were you living like that this morning? Well, it's hitting a little home. Okay. Uh, Sure, we, we know this to be true, right? And as we talk about Scripture and as we present Scripture, I'll I'll confess to you, I think we tend to do one of two things. We talk about God, and He is both, theologically we we term it this way, He is transcendent and imminent. A transcendent meaning that He is a powerful God. He is over all things. He is creator God. He made the universe. There is nothing like Him. He is supreme being. You could put whatever kind of word you want on there and attach it to Him. He is the God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, all of that. Okay, that's His transcendence. 
And sometimes we focus on his transcendence and we forget about the fact that he's also very personal and imminent. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knew you before you were created in your, in your mother's womb. He knows your name. He knows the thoughts in your head. Now that's scary, of course. But he walks with you. He loves you. He cares enough for you that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He is both of those. And we tend to kind of lean on one or the other at times. And we talk about how powerful God is and how holy God is. And he absolutely is. And we are to live in fear because he is so holy and so great. And yet, at the same time, he loves us and we're to adore him and honor him. And he, he actually can wipe away fear with his love because at that point we know if we're following him, he's walking with us and it's a great time and we live in peace with him. We find that through his son, Jesus Christ. He's both of those things. And sometimes we talk all about his love and we forget how big and how great he is. But we're supposed to remember both. So when we talk about this, God is bigger than who you are and what you do. We're talking a lot more about God's transcendence and how big he is, but I don't want you to forget the fact that he also loves you greatly. And you're going to see that, I think, the more we go through Romans. So kind of hang on to that because as we go through the first portion of Romans, you certainly hear a lot about the holiness of God and how incredibly great God is and how incredibly bad we are. And sometimes you start to think, man, there's this huge separation between God and us. And you know what? There is. There is a huge separation between God and us. But Jesus Christ came to bridge the gap. And that's what the book of Romans points to. So you've got to kind of hang on as we continue to move through the book. So we want to go ahead and do a little bit of role-playing this morning. I want to take a look at the background of Jews and Gentiles. And you guys over here on this side, so we have an aisle right here in the middle. You guys over here are going to be my Jewish audience, okay? You guys know that? You know anything Jewish you can do? Shalom, okay. What's that? Hoive, is that what you said? All right. So there you go, whoever those people are. All right, and you guys are our Gentile audience, all right? Do you guys know anything Gentile? Uh, we, don't, we don't need to hear it. I'm just kidding. Um, you guys, Gentiles, Jews, all right? And here's the aisle. And you guys, honestly, you're so different. Your backgrounds are so different that sometimes you don't like each other very much. Now, imagine a church 2,000 years ago with a Jewish background and a Gentile meeting together to worship one God, the same God. Here's some of the differences in your backgrounds. You guys over here believed in one God. And still do. But you believe in one God all the way back in the Old Testament. You can go back and you can see how he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. One God. You guys over here grew up believing in multiple gods. Okay, you're just role playing, by the way. I'm not saying you guys did. Don't get that. You grew up believing in multiple gods. You had various temples you went to, depending on what town you lived in. Uh, here he's going to Rome. Maybe you grew up in Rome. So, and then Rome had several different temples and several different gods there. So you might have gone to one of those different ones in your local community that you're in. Or maybe you grew up in like Corinth or Ephesus or someplace like that. And you had a different god. And so you, you would have believed in several, multiple gods. 
you guys would have followed the Old Testament law. Okay? Growing up, believing in the Old Testament and what it had to say. But you guys over here would have followed the current culture and the trends and, and whatever you, maybe your gods were saying in that particular area. Okay? You would have observed the Sabbath. Saturday, well actually Friday from 6 to Saturday at 6, would have been your Sabbath. And that would have been your time of rest and you would have observed all the Sabbath laws. You have only walked so far. Um, today, this is fast forward to today, but you wouldn't use elevators. You wouldn't light a match. You wouldn't do things like that. You wouldn't even be able to use your stove unless you programmed it the night before. Okay? So things like that. That's what you would, would be doing. You guys over here would follow the local temple and what it had to say just kind of in your area as you were growing up. And those would have been your rules that you would grow up to. You would follow the Old Testament dietary laws. Okay? So uh, you would have been eating the only the things that you could eat according to uh, Old Testament laws and, and so forth. So, of course, no bacon for you guys. Sorry. Uh, no cheeseburgers because you can't mix cheese and meat together. Um, those types of things, yeah. So, sorry. But, and everything would have had to been approved as it was being made and, and so forth. So that would have been your Old Testament dietary laws. You guys would have had the temple food. Um, and, and basically, again, your current culture would kind of define what that is. You guys would have thought, hey, our way of eating is, is really good. It's superior to the way the Jews eat. And the Jews would have thought, hey, our eating is better and cleaner than what the Gentiles eat. Right? So there would be a little bit of differences. Imagine potlucks. Right? You come together to church and, yeah, I'm sorry. I would have to have cheeseburgers. I'd, I'd be on this side over here. When I was going through Israel, I was so disappointed. You couldn't get a cheeseburger anywhere. It was, you get plenty of burgers, but yeah, that's a different story. So here's another thing, and this is a big deal, okay? You guys, well, you men, sorry, were circumcised when you were eight days old, and that was your way of identifying yourselves as a Jew. And it goes all the way back to Abraham and the covenant that was made there. So this was a covenant that you had to say, yes, we are children of of God, we are identified as Jews. You guys, because the Gentiles and the Greeks and Romans especially saw the human body as something to, to really worship, they would see circumcision as a form of, of mutilation. In fact, Paul even says that in some of his, his letters. Okay? So there would have been a, a big difference there. You would praise the Old Testament. The Jews would praise the Old Testament and tradition. You would praise knowledge. You'd see some of this coming into the early church. They talk about it as Gnosticism and so forth. So, so you certainly would praise that, and you would go more back to the Old Testament and, and traditions and so forth. You would tithe out of obedience, and, and, and this side over here would give in order to please gods and, and win them over to their side and those types of things, and make offerings and sacrifices for that. So those are just some of the differences that would exist between people who grew up with a Jewish background and people who grew up with a Gentile background. Does that make sense? Now, again, go back 2,000 years ago and think through how does that play out in a church? What does that look like in a church? We talk about potlucks, kind of funny, yeah, food thing. What about a day of worship? That was an issue for them. 
Do we worship on Saturday? Just like the Old Testament background, I grew up always worshiping on Saturday. So shouldn't we always worship on Saturday? That makes sense. And you guys are like, well, we worship different days according to maybe the temple. And then we talk about Jesus, and he, was ro- he rose on a Sunday. Well, it makes sense we worship on a Sunday. So there's, you know, talk back and forth on that. Even today, if you try to worship God in a Christian church on a different day than Sunday, what happens? If you say, hey, let's, let's worship on a Saturday night, people will be like, well, that's not right. Why? Because those are traditions. And so the way you grew up, your background affects certain things. So think through that. And the reason I want you to think through that is as you go through the passages we have gone through so far, Romans 1, 18 to 32, it starts to talk about all these things that in all honesty over here, the Gentiles were probably doing in the Gentile world, sexual immorality, homosexuality, all of those kind of things. And, and you guys would have been like, hey, you know, that's, that's okay. It seems like it's somewhat accepted in our culture. And the Jews over here would have been like, no, we don't accept that at all. And you might even be looking over there across the aisle going, get them, Paul. Get them. Show them that they're wrong. And then he gets into chapter 2, and in verses 1 through 16, Luke took us through that last week, and I think at this point he starts to, to kind of move across the aisle, and he says to the Jews, hey, we want you guys to know that all these things we said over here, well, you guys are kind of guilty of as well. And you guys start to squirm in your seat a little bit. And then he comes to verse 17. In case you're wondering, I'll just call you out by name. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, and if your background was Jewish, you would still call yourself a Jew. Okay? If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior... You might start to feel a little better about yourself at this point. Like, yeah, yeah, that's us. Be instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, and an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. I'll stop right there. He's pointing to you guys, and he's saying, if you see yourself as God's gift to the rest of the world. That's what he's saying. If you think, we're role-playing still, okay. I want you guys to, don't be looking across going, man, those guys are jerks over there, all right? <laughs> so, if you think that you are God's gift to the rest of the people, then why? You then, who are teachers, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And I think at this point they would have started thinking through, hmm, let's go back through our history. I remember this lady named Rachel, not any Rachel in this church, Rachel back in the Old Testament, who stole her father's idols. She stole things. Or what about King David, who committed adultery, who was a Jew? Or several others who also committed adultery. You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? Man, we can think through all the different kings who took other gods as they went out and plundered other 
countries and nationalities and, and took their gods and brought them back and set up places of worship. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. And that quote actually can go back to several different places. It's most likely from Isaiah 52. But he's talking about how he said, Isaiah told them, you guys have actually blasphemed God's name across the world because you bear his name, you are circumcised, you are his people, and yet you don't live like it. And I'm sure at this point, the Jews were thinking, man, Paul, you're supposed to be saying that across the aisle to them and not to us. Well, we're going to fast forward 2,000 years because we're talking about here and now. And I only know of one person of Jewish ascent here. Maybe there's more than that. Maybe there's more than that. Uh, Maybe, actually, I might know. Well, that doesn't matter. But... Today, there's not a lot of Jews here that have been meeting in the synagogues growing up. But we certainly have backgrounds represented here. And your background affects the way you view other people. And one thing I want you to hear very clear is that in God's big plan, no one can claim a superior background. Now, there's a couple things you could read into that, and I'm not, not suggesting that any of you couldn't say, you know, my background I would prefer over somebody else's background, because there are several. I will tell you, my background, I, you know, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. We went to church three, four times a week. Whenever the doors were open, we hopped into our orange suburban with the, with the, or the white top. I don't know why I remember that. We'd hop in. We had the bouncy seats. You'd go to church, be holding our Bibles. I would be dressed Literally, I would be dressed in a suit and tie. I was like five or six years old. And I would go to church. And I would grow up learning about Jesus. And I would grow up hearing about how he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I would go to Awana and I would memorize verses so I could recite them back and get little jewels that would go on a crown on my chest. And I did that growing up. And I appreciate the fact that I have that background. And when I look at other kids and what others have grown up, when I think about those who have have grown up and they were growing up up in a a drug home and they see mom just kind of pass that on the the couch most of the time, and then they're taken away from mom and dad, their only sense of security, and then they bounce around from house to house, I feel bad for them. But whether that person has that background or I have my background, what doesn't matter is how we are saved. And the truth is, I'm saved the exact same way as that person who bounced around from house to house. And my background is not superior when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in this passage. You Gentiles, you have an amazing background, but it's not superior excuse me, Jews, it's not superior to the Gentiles. And you need to remember that. And when the church comes together and it worships together, we have all kinds of backgrounds represented here, and nobody's background is better than another person's when it comes to knowing Christ. And God's big plan 
No one can claim a superior background. Well, he moves into verses 25 to 29. He goes forward. He says, circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So the Jews like to talk a lot about that. And they say, hey, we have been given this covenant. It came from Abraham. If we are circumcised, we are special people. And I think they kind of went around with this chip on their shoulder. Like, we are special people in God's eyes. But he goes on, he says, it only benefits you if you observe the law. So, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And they're starting to go, I don't know about that, Paul. And so he continues on, he says, a man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. So you focused on this outward appearance, and what God focuses on is on the heart. That's why he goes on to say, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. God works in us. The Holy Spirit works in us. And the letter there, he's talking about the law. We can memorize the law. We can try to do the law. The Pharisees were fantastic at that. And Jesus talked to them. And Jesus very specifically pointed out, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're dead. And that would be very, very hard to receive. We kind of brush over that like, oh, that's not a big deal. But if you have spent your entire life growing up in a system where you believe you're doing what is right for God and someone comes along and says to you, everything that you believe is like being like a whitewashed tomb where you look great on the outside but inside you're dead, you would probably be pretty upset because you've spent your time and your life working very hard to make sure you look good. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Jesus here is, or excuse me, Paul here is talking to the church in Rome, and he says to you, church, understand, you guys are not superior. And even your deeds are not superior. You see, in God's big plan, no one can claim a superior deed. So even if you were circumcised, even if you grew up a Jew, Even if you did all those things, your deeds are not superior when it comes to knowing Christ. Everybody's on the same playing field. That's an amazing truth. Because I think sometimes we approach Christ and we think through all the things we've done. So, you know, I shared a little bit with you and how I went to church most of my life. And yes, I did memorize those scriptures. And I appreciate that and all the things that God did. And I've gone to Sunday school and I've gone to uh, college and seminary and studied courses about God's word. And all those things are important. And I'm grateful that God led me to do that. But those things do not mean that my salvation is more real or genuine or worth more than anybody else's. Because my salvation is not based on that. My salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ. God doesn't love me more than anybody else. And he doesn't love you more than anybody else. 
Now, you might, you might like to hear me say that. Yeah, pastor, you say that. God doesn't love you more than he loves me. That's great. Well, you also need to internalize that. Because God doesn't love you more than he loves the person across the aisle. Right? You look around. There's a lot of backgrounds here. There's a lot of deeds here. But God's looking down. He's loving each one of us as he wants to. No one can claim a superior deed. Well, at this point, some of the Jews might have started asking questions. Well, I, I, you know, I grew up Jewish. I thought that was important. And so Paul deals with that. Look what he does here, chapter 3. He says, so what advantage does the Jew have? Or what, what advantages, or excuse me, what is the benefit of circumcision? And you may start to think that Paul's going to say nothing. But he actually says much, considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. And so he starts to look at the audience. He says, listen, there's some great things about being a Jew, but it's not you that's great. Pick up on that. He says, first, you're entrusted with the very words of God. So you were given God's word is truth, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You, know, you were given the prophecies concerning Christ, all of those things. And then they say, well, what then? If, if some were unfaithful, like of the old, the, the Jews who fell away, if they were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness then nullify God's faithfulness? In other words, will what they did, all of the things that they had done wrong, is that going to make it so that God doesn't fulfill his promises? And Paul goes on, he says, absolutely not. Let God be true. If God promises something, he's going to carry it through. And he does, and we're told that. If you go to uh, Revelation at the end, and I know a lot of people are like, Revelation, that's a hard book. It was fun to read, but it's kind of hard to look. But as you go through it, you start to see this unfolding of God's plan and how he plans to fulfill promises. And he keeps the church and he keeps the, the, the Gentiles, or excuse me, the, the Gentiles and the Jews. He keeps them separate and he says, I have a plan for the Jews to fulfill it. Then I'm going to fulfill what he has to say so that God is not a liar. In fact, he goes to the Old Testament that you may be justified. He's talking about God here in your words and triumph when you judge. That's what the Old Testament says about who God is. He is one when he speaks the truth, he keeps the truth. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? And then he goes, I'm using a human argument. So I know this starts to get a little wordy, and it's like, what is he, what is he talking about? So what I think Paul is, is saying here is there are questions in people's minds, and people were starting to go, Paul, so you're saying that, that the Jews, they disobeyed God. And by disobeying God, they brought salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, that's a good thing, right? And Paul would say, yeah, that's a good thing. Oh, well then, doesn't that mean that the more bad we do, the more good God's going to do? And that's kind of the logical argument they're using. That's why he says, I'm using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? So by doing these things, is, is God really righteous to say, well, I used you as pawns, we might say, and might even feel that way at times. I used you as pawns, Jews, to bring about righteousness, to bring about God's goodness to the rest of mankind. Is he righteous to do that? And Paul says, absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? He judges based on our sin. We've sinned. 
And God has this master plan to work us through it. So don't start pointing the finger at God like we so often want to do. And I will confess there are times when I think about the transcendence of God and the fact that he is sovereign, he is powerful, and that's all I focus on. I begin to start, I begin to start, that doesn't make sense. I begin to think that maybe he's just using me in his big sovereign plan. And I forget how much he loves me in the midst of it. And that's what happens when we focus too much of our attention just on the sovereignty of God. And it is absolutely true, and I'm not denying that at all. But we also have to to focus our attention on the imminence on God, that he loves us and cares for us and is working through us. And so here what you tend to see is they're starting to make this argument. He goes on, he says, But if if by my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still so being judged as a sinner? So he's asking that question. If, if, if God is, is bringing great and wonderful truth to the Gentiles because the Jews have disobeyed, then I should be rejoicing in that. It says, Paul says, no, don't rejoice over your sin. Absolutely not. And why not say, as some people slanderously claim we are saying, let us do what is evil then, Paul, so that good may come He then says their condemnation is deserved. If people are beginning to use that argument, I'll just go ahead and do whatever I want, and that actually bring more righteousness, Paul says their condemnation is deserved. Now, it still is kind of muddy, and honestly, as you read through it, and I've read through it several times, sometimes I scratch my head on the end of verses 1 through 8. Some say this is maybe the most difficult passage in the New Testament to interpret because it goes back and forth and you're trying to ask the question, who is he talking to? But I think it can be summarized in just simply saying, as the Jews, you're starting to make some kind of illogical arguments that, hey, we should be okay. God is not justified by Paul. He's basically going back to Paul. They're trying to argue back to him. God, Paul, you're not, you're not justified in saying what you're saying because if, if God condemns us, for condemning him, see, that's confusing, isn't it? If God condemns the Jews because they disobeyed God, then how is it your fault? How is it my fault? And Paul says we should not think like that. That's his argument. He doesn't really go back to anything else. He just says we shouldn't think that way. So, what does that mean for us? Every person has a pur- purpose. In God's big plan, every person has a purpose. And as you go through this life, there will be times where you may start to see God do some things, and you may say to yourself, am I just kind of a pawn in God's plan? And is God just moving me along in some way or fashion? And as he moves me along, is he just using me? And it's at that moment that we've actually taken our eyes off of a great and sovereign God, and we've put it on ourselves inwardly, and we've begun to think of ourselves more than we think of God. And the reason Paul brings this up here is because he says to the Jews and the Gentiles alike, we are all selfish people, depraved and apart from God. 
And you're left there at the end of verse 8 going, okay, God, he's just condemned those who may think this illogical argument. Paul has just told all of us that if we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, that we're condemned. What does all this mean? Well, as you move forward, he gets to Romans 3.23, which is a beloved verse. Many people know it. He says, for all have sinned. And it's to point out to all of us that we're sinners. And that's why we receive judgment. There's always this tension, it seems like, in our lives where we want to point our our finger at God and say, okay, God, you did this. You made this the way it is. But that's just not right. So to the Jews, who may feel like they're used in order to bring salvation to the Gentiles, that was God's ultimate plan from the very beginning. Live with it and be okay with it. To the person who grew up in a home and may feel like it was unfair because they didn't get all the things that the neighbor down the road got. Because they didn't have the loving parents that Joe at school had. They didn't have all the toys. To that person who may think it wasn't fair that I got to grow up and I grew up in this situation... Get over it. That's hard, isn't it? But you know what? That background doesn't change your salvation. That's the message that he's talking about here. You are saved by Jesus Christ just like anybody else. Did I get a pick? Did you get a pick which house you were born into? Did you get a pick which country you were born into? Did you get to pick um, your parents, the school you went to? Probably not. I mean, as a young kid. Those are things that, that changed your background and made you who you are today. And God takes whoever he wants to and gives you purpose in his plan. And sometimes we just have to get past it. I know I speak harshly sometimes, and you're like, man, that's not very nice. In our culture today, nobody's still telling me to get over it. But you know what? We need to. Because we have to somehow get over ourselves so that we can worship and glorify God. Oftentimes the one that's in the way, right here. God's plan is bigger than who you are and what you do. So if you're a Jewish background, if you're a Gentile background in this context, Paul says, work together, love each other, realize that you're both sinners saved by grace. And understand and experience the grace and mercy and gentleness of God in the midst of all that. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you love us regardless of our background. And Lord, I know this could be a painful, painful reality for for any of us. But you are a God who who reaches into our hearts and your, your word, it pierces deep into us. And we need to, in some way, in some fashion, Look past ourselves so that we can 
keep our eyes fixed on you. The Gentiles needed to hear that. The Jews needed to hear that. And we need to hear it. You love us because you love us. Simple as that. And you've put us in our place and given us purpose because you are God and you have a plan. And we're part of that big plan. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go to some questions and then we'll wrap it up. So, all right, what do you got for us today? These are great questions. I love them. All right, so um, we'll, we'll start with this one. Uh, how can someone who believes in Christ but struggles to live it out throughout the week improve their relationship with Christ? Are there things that we do as believers throughout the week that God tells us to do besides prayer? Yeah, I think certainly um, Scripture. So I think we, we get into God's Word. Uh, we had the version app this morning. With it. I think it can really be helpful. Um, several places in Scripture, uh, Romans 12 comes to mind, just the renewing of the mind. Uh, that whole concept, I think, is built on. Then, going back to the Old Testament, today we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, which I think is, is rich. We're also told, Acts chapter 2, that the early church met every, every day and listened to the apostles' teachings. Uh, and I think one of the reasons they met every day was because they didn't have the New Testament. And they didn't have the apostles' teachings uh, to read in front of them. Today we do. And so I think that's a great argument as well, that we should be in God's word. And then we have a ton of resources. It's one of the, the, the blessings of living today in the U.S. I mean, we have several Bibles in different translations that can be helpful even to look at. Um, podcasts, videos, uh, books. There's several things that we can turn to that would, would help us continue in our faith. And then, um, as, as a plug, I guess, to Life Group, that's, that's a huge benefit. So the church uh, is also there to help encourage us to grow in our faith. So don't just, we kind of live in that culture where it's like, let's do it all ourselves. But God designed us to also be part of the church. And there's uh, edifying and encouraging that the, the scripture speaks of that we need to have for each other. So, yeah. Okay. Um, ready? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've probably already like, made people feel uncomfortable this morning, so go for um, it. Yeah, so, can you speak to how God is imminent, which I think this person's talking about, the imminency of Christ. And I researched this a little bit. Wow, you were preaching because okay. it's kind of a All right. one that I don't typically hear about. But okay. um, I don't know. I thought I'd let you take a stab at it, and then we can go. So is that just the question? That's so, it. Can okay. You speak to how God is imminent. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's a great question because we do often talk about the the transcendence of God. So um, yeah, I mean, He knows He knows us intimately. Or, you know, ins and outs. He knows. Uh, I think. Just the simple fact that he knows every thoughts. He know, the Bible talks about how he knows the words before we even speak them. Demonstrate again and again how, how he is so involved in each of us. So you've got eight, you know, almost 8 billion people on the face of the earth. And I think that's a true statement for each of those people. 
So while he's this massive God, he is there with us. And that's part of his, his greatness, I guess, um, that he is walking with us, knows us, knows everything about us, all the details. Um, and then in a very personal way, Jesus Christ is our, our Savior. So he, every sin that I have committed, not only does he know, but he looks past it to love me. Um, that is, is really humbling when you think about, I mean, who knows your sins better than yourself, right? And, well, God does, Christ does, and yet he still loves, he loves me, loves you, loves all of us here. So um, I, that's a very real way for me. But, yeah, I'm kind of curious. You said you did some research, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, this particular word, I actually replied back to the person. So if you could clarify what you are thinking about when you say the word imminent, I would, I would love to hear that. But um, the only thing I could find about imminence was uh, that God is uh, in all, it's similar to his omnipresence. Mm-hmm. He's in all his creation, but not, but he still remains distinct from all of his creation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's what you had in mind when you submitted that text, but, um, but it, you did talk a lot about how God is near and he's, he's with yeah. us and he walks with us and he knows our in, in mo, innermost thoughts. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, yeah, I think, I, you know, it just came to mind there, but I, the, maybe the greatest example of that is when Jesus Christ was born. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he is here in the flesh. Well, at that time in the flesh. He's in the flesh today in heaven. But, yeah, he's, he was with us then and still is. So, yeah. Well, the last one. Um, yep, we have time. All right. The very last one is uh, what did Paul say about circumcision, which I know we covered that a little bit in the message. Um, but I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about that. I know you had some, you know, there's Acts 15 and Galatians 5, and he's dealing with it all the time. So, What did Paul say about circumcision? What did Paul uh, say about circumcision? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly we can develop that more. I think Acts 15 is a great passage if you want to know. And I thought about pulling that in this morning. But uh, if you want to know what the, the early church struggled with that at the council, and, and they actually came back together as a church, and they said, well, what should the Jews have to do? And, and they did two, they basically said two things, that, excuse me, the Gentiles. What should the Gentiles have to do to be saved? Um, and it's believe in Christ. And then what should they do in the church? And they said two things. Um, they said that they should um, stay away from sexual immorality. And they said they should not have, uh, eat meat of, I mean, hopefully I say this right, meat from animals that have been strangled and still have blood in it. So, and that, that's kind of an interesting law and has some background behind it. Um, but those were, the, those were the only two things. So, they, it basically, and Paul continues that on in a lot of his, his teachings in the church and says that you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. It's a circumcision of the heart, like he talks about here, where it's what is true is what's going on inside the person, not what's on the exterior or the outside. So, I think he continues that theme all the way through his, yeah, all his letters. That's it. So if you have... If you have oh. Gal- I was just going to say the book of Galatians. If you want to know a lot about it, that's probably the best book as far as hitting that point really hard. Yeah, my understanding, that's actually... A, that church was struggling with that, yeah. like what to do about yeah. the Gentiles who are uncircumcised. Yeah. Well, if you guys have other questions, feel free to send them in. We'll try to answer them midweek. Uh, we're posting them on the Facebook page and also on our, our Involved Church Live site. So uh, that'll go live Thursday at 6 p.m., and we do our best to answer them. So um, give us feedback. Uh, let us know if we're answering your questions. If you're like, ah, oh, they didn't quite answer it, 
let us know and we'll try to dig in a little further. So yeah, sounds right. good. Thank you. Yeah. All right, we're just going to kind of sign off and give you just an application here real quick. Um, I'm going to do a multiple choice application. Okay, I know it's just like some of these, you got, I got to think about it. This one, you don't have to think. You just answer one, two, or three. How about that? Well, they are actually meant to make you think, so maybe that doesn't quite work. How does your background affect your faith? One, it enhances your faith and helps you love God and others. Okay, would you say that's true of you? It enhances your faith and helps you love God and others. Two, it complicates your faith and you approach God and people more cautiously. Or three, maybe it hinders your faith and you have a hard time loving God and others. Um, How does your background, as you think through how you grew up and your knowledge of who God is, how does your background affect your faith? Uh, Think through those and maybe answer one, two, or three, or maybe it's a combination of, of a couple of them.